You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. I love first services at churches because, like, you know, like, when you come to first service, you, you're, you, you're, like, there's very few people that show up at first service at a church on accident. Most people are like, I'm there because it's, you know, you know, no one kind of wakes up and is like, I'm going to first service. So I, um, as Pastor Annette said, my name is David. I serve as our Northwest District Supervisor or Associate Supervisor. I don't want the first job. Um, and if you didn't know what that is, that's uh, states in our churches in Alaska, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, and North Dakota. We've got some space. Right now there's some people in the room going, so Alaska. Yeah, I know. You guys want to go visit churches and fish. Okay, so I, I get that a lot. But um, we, when, before I came into this position, my wife, Sunshine, her name is Sunshine. Um, she is amazing. Uh, we pastored in LaGrand, Oregon for 17 years. Anybody know where LaGrand is? There's a couple of people. Oh, good. Good for you. Where were you on your way to? Because nobody was like, my destination was LaGrand, Oregon. For those of you who don't know where LaGrand, Oregon is, it's in the northeast corner of this state. And we were having this conversation before service even started about where this location was. Because everybody over here refers to Bend, Oregon as Eastern Oregon. Let me just give you a geographic lesson. That's wrong. All right? Bend is in the center of the state. And there's a lot of state between Bend and Idaho. There's a few people out there, too. More, more rabbits. But it's good. So we pastored out there, and we loved it, and we had, um, I was laughing about first service, because we had four services, we had to have four services, and we literally had our first service at 7.30 in the morning. Yeah, that group that showed up at 7.30 in the morning, they would have been there at a 5 a.m. service, God bless them, right? Uh, yeah, I know, those of you who, yeah, we'll pray for you. Um, <laughs> I remember our worship pastor used to come in and be like, I'm doing acoustic on this first set, and he would be like, Jesus is awake, but I am not. And so we're, this is, he'd be like, this is worship. It was so good. Well, I'm excited to be with you and get to share. We're going to be in the book of Jonah today. And uh, the book of Jonah, oh, th there, are very, there are not many people that I know that go around with t-shirts that say, you know where my life verse is? It's in Jonah. But it's a phenomenal book. And you guys have been in this amazing s series, The Gospel Story. And I watched that. This is, have you guys enjoyed that? Man, this is good stuff. Um, you have an incredible team here. By the way, let me just say this, and I promise we'll jump into this. I got to tell you, walking through the doors of this place, I have never been greeted so warmly, so welcomed, so uh, cared for. Thank you guys for making me feel so welcomed here. I mean, this is, what an amazing church family. You guys are awesome. You're good. I'm, I'm going to come back to the barbecue. Um, so we're going to be in this, the, the, the story of Jonah is such a phenomenal story, and uh, the subtitle of this, I know that we're in the gospel story, is a story of grace, right? And the, this book of Jonah is really an incredible story of the grace of God. And I love that as we look at these scriptures, like in the Old Testament, we see God's faithfulness, right? We see God's faithfulness throughout scripture, Old and New Testament. So a couple things here about Jonah, right? We're going to talk about this and I want to give you just a little bit of history and a little bit of background, and we'll jump right into what we're going to talk about. But Jonah is one of what we call the 12 minor prophets. And minor prophet isn't like, you know, the, the less loved brother, okay? It's not like, oh, he's one of the minor prophets. It's just that the book is a little bit shorter, all right? So Jonah is this, this book. Now, there's a lot in this book, though, 
that is different from a lot of the other prophetic books in the Old Testament. A lot of the other ones that you read, they record um, a prophet talking to their community, their nation where they live, giving various, they called them oracles or prophetic messages. And in the Old Testament, there's a lot of different types of writing. There's you know, laments, and there's parables, and there's histories. Jonah's what we're going to call um, a prophetic narrative. It's a story. And again, Jonah, let's just get this really clear. Jonah is very different than a lot of the other prophets in the Old Testament for a couple of reasons. It's very surprising. Is The first is that his message that he's supposed to give isn't to his home nation. God wants to send him completely to a foreign nation to give the message. And the second part that's unique about Jonah is his response to God asking him to go give a message. If you go read a lot of the other prophets, I mean, you've got people like Isaiah, and God is speaking to Isaiah, and Isaiah's like, here I am, send me. And then you've got Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's like, I'm really young, but he's like, goes. And then you've got Jonah, who's like, here I am, I ain't going. Jonah's like, oh, do you want me to go to, I'm out. Like, his response that's recorded is really, really interesting. Now, I don't know about, okay, you don't have to raise your hand on this, I promise, okay? But I, I can see you. Don't, and don't point at somebody else either. I've always noticed. People respond in church like, do, what do you think? And they're like, how many of you ever, when you read the Old Testament, it, it, you can slip into this idea that when you're reading about the, the, the biblical characters, you can be kind of judgy about them. Because they're kind of removed, they're kind of far away. Like, I can't believe that Jonah would do something like this. How could he do that? Here's what I'm learning. The older I get, the more I see more of myself in these characters. I'm way less judgy about, like, Peter in the New Testament and the Israelites. Like, how could they not follow God when his presence was with them? And And then Tuesday, I'm like, I didn't follow God and his presence is with me. So when we look at Jonah, one of the things that I've looked at, when we look at the Old Testament and say, Lord, I don't want to divorce myself from the story. I want to put myself in it. I want to see where I, where I resonate with this because these scriptures, this story is so powerful. And it will, it's going to tweak us in some areas, I believe, as well, of how we view life. By the way, the older I've got, I've also seen myself less as the hero of the stories because I always, <laughs> always want to read the Bible and be like, yeah, I'm like Jesus. And more like, oh, I see the brokenness in that individual reflected in my own life, and I'm thankful for God's grace. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tuck this in your back pocket as we jump into this book. I want you to tuck, tuck this scripture in your back pocket. It's John 3, 16 and 17. You may know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not per- perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Tuck that away, because I want that to be a lens that we're looking at Jonah through, because it's going to come all the way back around to that verse and the heart of Father God. So Jonah chapter 1, I'm going to read part of it, give you a little bit of the stuff that's going on there. I encourage you to go read Jonah this week. You heard it in church, read the Bible, all right? So go read it. It's a short book. It's It's awesome. I want to talk about the very first thing here is this idea of running from grace. You'd think that we'd be people that run to grace, but let's talk about what happens when we run from grace. Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. The word of the Lord to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. 
He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Just, this is just a bonus. How many of you know the futility of fleeing from the God who is everywhere? <laughs> I'm just throwing that one out. Listen, I love this right off the bat, the very first words. He's, it's like, okay, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. God gives him direction and he runs away. Here's some perspective geographically on this. This would be like if you were living in Bend, Oregon, and God said, I want you to go to Missoula. Location-wise, distance-wise, I want you to go to Missoula. You said, yes, Lord, I hear you. And you went straight to Lincoln City and jumped on a boat and headed for Hawaii. Right? Like, that's the distance. Been to Hawaii. That's about where Tarshish is. Obviously, Jonah's like, I don't only want to get out, but I want to get out. Like, I want to go away, like far away, as opposite and as far away from where God is calling me as I possibly can. Right? This is one of those books that when you read this, you know, we don't ever want to compare ourselves in ways that is unhealthy, but you read, you read Jonah and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, if I've ever felt bad about like, Ah, oh, Lord, I don't know if I followed your leading. You read Jonah and you're like, okay, now I know what that really looks like. Like, n he just flat says no. Now, later on in the book of Jonah, and we'll touch base on that, but I'm just going to tell you now, it reveals why this prophet's desire was to run away from where God was calling him. And it was simple, and it's very revealing. The reason why Jonah didn't want to do what God was calling him to do, he didn't want to go to Nineveh, is because he knew if he did... And the people heard the message that God was going to bring, that there'd be the potential that they would repent, and that God, who he knew was merciful and gracious, might show them mercy and grace. And Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with that. That's what you find out later is Jonah's like, I don't want to go bring a message to Nineveh. I don't want to go to Nineveh. I don't want to tell them that, the, you know, the Lord is telling them you need to repent because they will. And he knows the character of God. And he doesn't want anything to do with that. Here's the thing that you realize that Jonah's doing is he's, you know, he's fleeing God. He's fleeing the calling. But he's really running away from the grace of God. Now, when I say that, you realize that when, I, when we talk about God's grace, his mercy, we sang about it this morning. We love God's mercy, his grace, the forgiveness that comes, his heart that is towards us. Jonah is running away from God's grace from the standpoint of he's fleeing God because he doesn't want to see God's grace manifest in somebody else's situation. So he's running from it. You realize we run from God's grace too, right? I mean, that's, we've all, you, you may, maybe not, but I'm, I'm willing to bet in this room we've run from God's grace on two fronts. The first is that on the one hand, we kind of can sometimes struggle with this idea of God's love and his mercy and his grace towards us because it's something we cannot earn and that he freely gives. Now, that sounds kind of strange that we would struggle with that until you cross to a place where you're like, yeah, but that takes me out of working my way to being acceptable to God. And how many of you know, sometimes when we talk about our self-worth, what we end up talking about is the fact is like, well, wait a minute, I'm talking about my self-worth. What do I do with a God that I don't have to work to make myself worth something to him? Right? So we flee from God's grace because it messes with us because we're like, what do I do? I respond to the love and the grace of God and I live as love. And some of us struggle with living as somebody loved by God in his grace so we run from it. And what do we run to? A God of our own creation. One that we kind of do the slot machine God. We call it Christian karma. I put a quarter of 
of, of obedience in, and I'm going to get some grace out. And the reality is that sometimes we're more comfortable about that when than the free gift of grace that God's given us because we feel like we're earning it. But I, I don't know, I have this thing in my life. I can dress up disobedience in like the fanciest clothes on the planet. Like I can make unbelief look good. But God always brings me back to, it's unbelief, David. That's disobedience. Just call it what it is and be done with it. So when we look at this, I'm like, well, why would we flee from God's grace? Because I want a God of my own creation, one that I can worship on my terms in my way so I feel like I'm acceptable. That seems like that's way more work than saying, Lord, this free gift of grace and mercy that you've offered through your son, Jesus, remember the scripture I told you to tuck in your back pocket. That's where we're going to constantly come back to is we, we don't run from that to something that is our own creation because that's where we find our best, right? And then there's the other side of it that Jonah ran from, and this is a harder, <laughs> this is a difficult one, is fleeing from grace because a life lived in grace, what's required of that life? What do we do with the grace we've been given when it, refer, when it comes to our interactions with other people? Oh, you ever do this? Again, don't raise your hand or point fingers, but literally singing a song, Lord, thank you for your grace, your mercy. I love you, Lord. You're amazing. I hate this person. <laughs> Never be able to forgive them. They're just, ugh, right? Now, commercial here for a second. When we talk about forgiveness, because that's the outflow of grace in our life, is to extend grace to others, which means forgiveness. That is not overlooking incredibly difficult, painful situations that to choose to forgive is difficult, and that person may never ask for forgiveness. That, that there's real hurt when we talk about forgiveness, so I'm not being flippant with that, okay? But how do, what do we do with grace? We run from grace sometimes because we're like, that short circuits my own ability in my life. And on the other side, we're like, a life lived, receiving grace is a life then that needs to extend grace. And that means to everybody at all times, in all circumstances. You know the difficulty with the grace and people? People. You're a people. I'm a people. I know myself. I get up and look in the mirror. I'm like, hello, people. Right? That when we talk about forgiveness, we're talking about an involvement with people. And the difficulty with that is that it involves people. Because we're messy. And it's not always easy. And the way that we're going to live in grace and not run from it when it comes to other, one, other people is to first live in grace that God gives us as he sees it. Jonah's on the run because he doesn't want to deal with God's grace with other people, right? So this is Amy's running. And I'm going to go on. I want to talk about this, this next section of unlooked for grace. So we talked about this idea of running from grace. Let's talk about grace when it shows up in places we don't think grace should show up. So after the section I just read, if you go on and you continue to read in verses 4 through 16, what you're going to find out is that, yeah, Jonah runs, jumps on a ship, and heads off to Tarshish. But as he's on this ship, a storm comes up. He is asleep. I don't even know where to, what to do with that. But he's asleep on the ship. The sailors are all kind of, we got to figure out what's going on. They wake him up. We're trying to figure out what's happening. Jonah finally says, okay, I'm a Hebrew. I serve the God of heaven and earth. And you know, and they're like, okay, so what's happening? And finally he admits, he's like, it's me. Yeah, I'm, I'm running from God. This is probably happening because of me. 
And to the sailor's credit, I'm feeling pretty good about that's a good group because they don't just grab him and chuck him over the side right off the bat. He's like, yeah, you should probably throw me overboard. They actually go back and think about it. I'd be like, you did what? You know, I mean, you, you know, it'd be like, we, we, we can, we're one less. So that, this story, they kind of go back and forth and Jonah's like, all right, I should probably go. And finally they're like, yeah, you should. So they throw him over the side into the ocean and, and scripture talks about that once he hits the water, you know, the, the waves begin to calm, the storm goes away, and then verse 17 happens. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I kid you not, you guys, Friday night and Saturday I was over at the coast. Um, beautiful, like, 90-degree weather, no wind. It never happens at the Oregon coast. And um, got up yesterday morning super early because I went out to dig some clams. I don't know that you need to know that, but there's some insight into my life. And uh, came back and just going over my notes for today. And about an hour later, looked out at the ocean and right beyond the breakers, this whale comes up and goes, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> we're talking about Jonah. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the message. I just thought it was fun. Um, but the Lord provides this huge fish. Now, I got to tell you, for a lot of years, I've read the book of Jonah and stuff, and I've studied this. And I, I really thought, like when I read about the fish coming, I thought, yeah, that's what you get when you run from God. I mean, that's kind of what kind of went through my heart and mind was like, yeah, you run from God, you're going to get chucked in the ocean, sucked up by a fish, serves you right. I mean, that was kind of how I always read the fish was like, oh man, right? However, when you study the passage, you're going to again see God. God's grace in the middle of this story of Jonah, and you're, we see God's grace in the middle of Jonah's disobedience, and he's running away from it. So after he's thrown into the water, the Lord literally sends grace to pick him up. Now, this grace has fins and scales, and evidently a large mouth, but literally the fish is grace personified because Jonah, when he's thrown into the water, and we're going to read this in a second, his song of prayer and praise from inside the fish is he was on his way down. He's in the water. He's probably, if he was left there, he would have drowned. And God sends this fish and whoop, sucks him up. Right? Wait a minute. How in the world would that happen? First of all, if this fish is grace... Why would Jonah even remotely deserve it? The guy's running from God because of his heart against a group of people. Why wouldn't he just, you know, by the way, if the fish hadn't shown up, this book would be even shorter than it already is. I mean, he'd be like, and Jonah was thrown overboard and a fish ate him. Right? But there's something that's going on here when we recognize grace in all of its crazy forms. Here's the thing. Grace often shows up in places where we absolutely don't expect it and we totally don't deserve it. You, over the years of talking with people in the church and my own experience as a follower of Jesus, here's the crazy thing about forgiveness and grace, right? I think at times we're good with it when we accept it on the terms that our failure, you know, we, we messed up, however you want to do it. But there's something where talking with people over the years, pastoring, and just listening, again, like I said, my own experience of walking with Jesus, it's harder to accept grace when we are, the, we are willfully being disobedient. Because we're like, I've burned that bridge with God. Yeah, don't try that on, okay? 
but I did, I did it, and it's, it's my mistake, it's my failure. And have you ever heard somebody say this? And you may have said this. Hey, look, it's my mess. I made this mess, I'll get out of it. You know what I've always thought about that? If I was so smart that I could get out of the mess I made, why did I get in the mess in the first place? <laughs> like, it, seriously, like, I'm creating this mess, but I'll get myself out. That doesn't work. And here's Jonah that we established at the beginning is running from the grace of God because he doesn't want to see it happen. And now he's in this position where he's thrown in the ocean and he's going to die. And God sends a fish and it swallows him up. And it's God's grace in the midst of a situation of somebody who doesn't deserve grace, but God's showing him grace anyway for himself. And it's going to affect a whole group of people as well. He doesn't deserve it. He was running from God. And again, the thing about grace is it shows up in the craziest times. You might remember a story in Luke 15 we call it the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. There's a, there's, a, there's a son who says, I want my inheritance now, dad, before you die. Takes the money, goes, squanders the money, spends it all, ends up in a famine, working in a pigsty. Things get so bad, he's finally like, I'm going to go back home to my dad and hire myself out as a servant because things are terrible. And when he gets home, it says this, verse 21 of Luke 15. The son says to his father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This whole thing of grace is for us in the midst of the brokenness. It finds us in the pigsties. It finds us drowning in the ocean. It finds us when we absolutely are the most undeserving that we've ever been at our ugliest. God's grace is there. Right? Chapter 2, I want to read this to you. Jonah's prayer from inside the fish. Because it literally says in chapter 2, verse 1, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up on the dry land. That is the most interesting worship service I have ever seen in my entire life. Jonah literally is thanking God for a large fish to, that swallowed him because he recognizes without God's grace of providing a very strange way of saving him, he'd be dead. By the way, I love that God does things in just absolutely incredible, crazy ways outside of what you and I can think or imagine. Because I don't know about you, but have you ever done the prayer thing, like where you're trying to list for God how he could possibly answer your prayer? It's like when you're praying for somebody and you're like, Lord, heal them. And here's the anatomy lesson. God doesn't need an anatomy lesson. He knit us together. He knows what he's doing. Right? The same thing where I'm like, well, Lord, I don't have an answer, but... 
I think I'm going to pray to the God who sent a fish. I'm pretty sure God can figure out a miraculous way outside of my thinking and understanding of how he can answer a circumstance, right? Because we have stories like this. So Jonah recognizes the grace of God saving him even in the midst of his running away. His failure and preserving him and giving him another chance. Listen, I'm just going to say this here. If you're in the room right now, God's brought you here this morning and you're saying, yeah, I feel far from God. And my life would be categorized by the fact that I, I feel like my trajectory is away from God. You're not as far from God as you think because he is with you. Just turn around right there. But you don't know I've been running. You don't know the things I've been doing. I don't, but he does. But I guarantee you his grace is still sufficient. His goodness is still there. Go back to the scripture we talked about that you're going to tuck in your back pocket. That world that God loved, you're in it. You're part of it. The grace that is, is available to us is in the midst of when we need it. Now, here's the thing. So Jonah gets, <laughs> Jonah gets thrown up on the land. That would have been a picture. Um, now that he's back on land, he's had this experience. He's saved by God. You can go on and you can read the rest of, of, the, of the chapter and into chapter 3, and you see what happens is Jonah actually does what God asked him to do. Jonah goes to Nineveh. Nineveh, this huge city, the capital of Assyria, would be what's in northern Iraq right now is where this city is. And he even says it's a community of 120,000 people. This is a large city. It takes him three days to get through the whole city proclaiming this message, right? And when he gets there and does what God says, guess what happens? Exactly what he thought would happen. The people hear the message and they repent. The message gets to the king. They call him the king, the ruler, right, of Nineveh. And he says, okay, everybody, that's it. We're, I'm calling a fast. Everybody put on sackcloth. We need to repent. Maybe God will be gracious and merciful to us. This is a foreign nation. These are not Israelites. These are not Jewish followers. They, these are, they're not Jews in any way. They are separate. This is an enemy of Israel. And this message goes forth, and they, they respond, right? They respond in, in to God. God's grace, his mercy is extended even to those who would call themselves his enemies. The door is open. God's heart is towards people. Can I ask you this? I didn't put this in here. This is just, and again, it's just a conversational thing. Do we actually believe that? Do we believe that God's heart is towards all people? And that's important, right? That we believe that? That we view people correctly? We're going to talk about that a little bit more in the final point, but that God's heart is towards people. Verse 10 says this in chapter 3, when God saw their response, what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God, God of grace and mercy, right? Sometimes when we read scriptures in the Old Testament, we read the New Testament in the Bible, we kind of build this thing in our head that it's a different God in the Old Testament than of the New Testament. Like they're two different gods. No, same God. We're talking about the same God. Same heart of mercy and grace that was towards these people that were in Nineveh as we read in the scriptures that I told you to tuck away. That it was toward the world that sent his son that we might have life and forgiveness. Right? So their response is what Jonah feared their response would be, which is repentance. And sure enough, the character of God, this mercy and grace, he shows it towards them. So let's talk about this last thing here. I want to talk about what happens when we're blind to grace. 
running from grace. We talked about this idea of what is where grace is. I want to talk about how we're blind to grace. Chapter four, short chapter. I want to read it. it. Says this: After they responded, it says, "But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, "Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish." I knew your gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. God's question. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he had made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. He's still hoping for calamity. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And he wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. And God says, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? It is, he said, I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend it or make it grow, sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? And that ends the book. It seems very abrupt, right? Like, like it's done. And yet the statements he's making are profound these people have heard this message of the Lord through Jonah. They've responded with humility and repentance. They've experienced the grace and mercy of God. And Jonah is, again, he is not happy about this. So what he does is he goes and he finds a place that overlooks the city, builds a little structure, because he's sitting there waiting, going, all right, let's see what's going to happen. Like, maybe it'll still be good. Like, maybe something's going to happen to these people, because, like, let's see what's going to happen. And when the Ninevites do repent, he, he, this is crazy to me. When the Ninevites do repent, he tells the, the Lord, I told you so. Like, I knew this was going to happen. I knew you were merciful and gracious. I can't believe I, you sent, I ran away from you because I didn't want this to happen. I'm thinking this is not a conversation anybody should be having with God. But give it to Jonah because he's sitting there going, that's it. I knew I shouldn't have done this because you did what I knew you would do because you're merciful and you're gracious. The man, <laughs> this is crazy, the man that was just saved by the grace and mercy of God from drowning by a fish, his response to God's grace to the Ninevites is, over my dead body, over my dead body this should happen. And I'm like, Ooh. Jonah, I'm thinking don't get back in the water the second time that fish gets you. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. And Jonah stayed away from water to the end of his days. All right, so. All right. Jonah cannot accept the, the grace of God for those who were not people he deemed worthy of grace. They weren't Israelites. They weren't Jewish. It was good for him, but not for them. So he sets up this place to see if anything's going to happen to the city. And we read about this. And the, there's a story we just we talked about. The plant rises up. It grows over him. And he loves the shade, and then God causes it to wither because God is going to teach him a lesson through this plant. By the way, I want you to notice something in this text, that God asked Jonah twice if he has a right to be angry. Remember when you were little, maybe if there's any kids, 
kids' room, you maybe you, you're like, oh, I am little right now. But remember, when you're little, and like if your parents said to you, so do you think that's a good idea? And you, you're like, yeah. And then they would repeat, really? So you think that's a good idea? And at that point, you realize I'm about to step in something here. So some, I need. I've been asked twice in a row by my parent if that's a good idea. When God repeats himself with a question, we should pay attention because it's a big statement. When he says, do you have a right to be angry? And Jonah's like, yeah, I got a right to be angry. I'm so angry I could die. And then God goes on and goes, so do you have a right to be angry? Jonah should probably pull up. Pull up, Jonah, pull up. But he doesn't because he's focused on the fact that he's so frustrated by this entire situation. God asks him again, are you angry about this plant? This is interesting. And he says, I am angry about this plant. I wish it could die. The Lord talks about this plant, and he's, 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 he's giving Jonah a lesson. Because Jonah's anger reveals his heart, that he was really, he really want, did not want grace for these people. But now as he's sitting there, and this plant grows up, and it's providing shade, and he loves the shade, and it dies, he's angry, and he's mad about that too, and he tells God that he's mad about that too, and he's mad and concerned about a plant that he literally did nothing for. It's not like Jonah cared for the plant or gardened the plant or planted it or watered it or did anything. God made that, that, that plant and it provided shade for him. And what God's telling Jonah is he didn't have any genuine love for the plant. He just appreciated what it provided for him. God has communicated him through this whole situation. He's like, okay, Jonah, so you feel bad about the plant, huh? The plant that you literally had nothing to do with. Imagine how I feel about those people that are made in my image, that are my image bearers, that I created. Imagine my love and my compassion and my grace for them, the ones that I'm looking at and lamenting for, and you're over here, you're complaining about a plant that you had nothing to do with but feel like you have a right to. He's, he's helping him, tried to help him to see, like, do you see my heart of compassion towards these people that I lament and care deeply for, even though he uses the phrase earlier, they don't even know their right hand from their left. Like, they don't know what is right and wrong, but he wants to show mercy to this group of people, and Jonah doesn't want mercy to happen to them, and he's mad about this plant. How can Jonah experience God's grace one minute and not rejoice in others receiving the exact same thing? Oh, I think because it reveals the nature of human hearts, huh? Sometimes our hearts can be a pretty ugly place. Jonah determined he didn't think those people in Nineveh were worthy of that grace. So what do we do with this? How about how about our hearts, you know, like, like where we live? Let's, let's make, let's, you realize we can always, we can listen to a sermon, right, with a shovel or a rake. Shovel's like, that is so good for them. That is so good for them. Like, that is, that is awesome. Have some of that. Rake's like, all right, come on, bring it on in. Let's bring it home, right? It's like when you go somewhere, you talk about change. If there's somebody in the room who says, I love change, you're like, yeah, you love it when God changes other people's stuff is what you mean. Yeah, change them, Jesus, change them, right? But here's the thing about this is bringing it to where, what about our own hearts? What about the places in our hearts where we're going back to, are we running from God's grace in these areas? What about the ones on the list? And you know the list. If you have that list, the ones that will never change. 
family members that you know intimately well that you're like, nope. Maybe even for them to experience grace would in itself feel like an affront to you because you hold them in a place of contention in your heart. Now, I'm not sharing that from the standpoint of me being up here like, you better do this because it was, oh gosh, I don't even remember now, several years ago. I was, in my, oh, I was in my office, I was praying one day, and I was praying about some situations in my family, and I realized as I was praying about some different things, there were some things going on within me, and I, I realized that I had, uh, I, I, my prayers were somewhat shorter and less faith-filled in certain circumstances, let's just say that. And I remember having one of those moments of just clearly hearing the Lord speak to me and say, so David, is there room for a redeemed version of that person in your life? And I went, no. Nope. Whether it was from the pain they had caused or a sudden realization of what I thought about the grace of God and the transformative work of God. But I had realized I'd relegated them to a place where I could pray at them, but not for them. Where I could receive God's grace for myself, but to extend it to a point where I could see life that happened there. So that was a moment that was like, I think the Lord needed to take a big old hammer and break up some things within myself. Because... Grace is one of those understandings that hypothetically speaking, what a wonderful concept, right? We keep it out there, but grace for ourselves, receiving that in the places where we don't feel like we're worthy. Let's let God bring grace and forgiveness, but then how we interact with the world around us, we need to be people of grace. The language we speak must be the language of grace. It should be the air that we breathe on a daily basis so that we don't separate people into what they believe and don't believe and how they think or their political affiliations or whatever the case may be makes no difference whatsoever because if you're in this room and you're a follower of Jesus and you're a kingdom person and the air you breathe is grace and the life you have is because of the grace of God in the midst of the brokenness and ongoing because we don't just receive grace once but it's an ongoing daily thing. And so how do we interact with the world around us, even the people that are difficult and painful? And I know they're out there because I'm one of them to somebody somewhere. Right? I recognize I am part of some people's ongoing sanctifying process. Like I'm just, you know, <laughs> that's how you put it in theological terms to make yourself feel better about yourself. I'm just here to be part of your ongoing sanctifying process. <laughs> right? It's like, people are like, you're like, I'm going to use that one. I'm not irritating. I'm just changing you. Okay. Stop. Right. Remember at the beginning of this message, I asked you to keep this particular scripture in mind. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's just slow down as I'm wrapping this up. God so loved the world he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him by the way you and I were all the whoever's everybody outside these four walls are the whoever's who've experienced the grace of God we need to be people that live in the grace of God the heart of the father hasn't changed his heart for Nineveh his instructions to Jonah, his grace that he showed Jonah in the midst of his failure, even when he spoke to Jonah at the end where he's saying, do you see the, my love for these people? See the comparison. That's still his heart today. The question is, is what do we do with this grace? Accept it, experience it, live in it, extend it. 
Let's not run from it. I would tell you right now, the, the world that you and I live in, in all of its complexity, and we talk about the complexity of the world we live in, and divisions, we all see it, right? We, we get, the, it's a rough place needs followers of Jesus that are engaged in an ongoing life-giving relationship with Christ of grace on a daily basis that recognizes how good he is and then interacts with the world on the same level. We need a world filled with people filled with grace. First, you have to experience it yourself. So here's the deal. If you're not walking in the grace of God, if you don't believe that for yourself, then you'll never live it out there. Because let me just tell you, you don't sell well what you don't believe right? So let's be people that live in it, accept the grace that God has for us, and let's be people that walk in it, in the messy, crazy world that we live in. And by the way, you're going to screw up, because so do I. And you know what we do? We fall back on his grace, right? The other beautiful thing about the grace of God is there's no one beyond his reach. There's no situation that cannot be changed by the goodness and grace of God. I'm going to pray. Pastor Ned's going to come and close us out and just pray really quick. Father, thank you for moments together as family, in your word, to experience your grace together, Lord, in worship, in fellowship. Lord, we want to be people that live in grace. I just pray right now, anyone in this room that needs to just move beyond unbelief, that you, they can experience your grace, that they would do that today. And Lord, for the areas that are difficult because... It's hard to extend that grace. Would you soften us? Help us live in the reality of what that means. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. That was so good. I, I don't know about you, but I'm taking a rake today. <laughs> That's a great analogy. We have some wonderful, loving, caring people who would love to pray with you today. So before you leave, if there's some... Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.